we are talking about spiritual warfare over the next couple weeks. And as the uh, fragrance of the other room wafts in here, you know, spiritual warfare comes in all forms and shapes, including just simple distractions. So um, all kidding aside, God wants to do a great work. He always does, and he wants to draw us and teach us and convict us and work in our hearts in such a way that he heals us. And all of that is a spiritual battle. And so as we enter into this passage specifically, but every time we approach the Word of God together, there is an element of entering into a spiritual war. The enemy wants nothing to do with us hearing the truth of God's Word. And so as we join in together in, in God's Word, let's pray that God would have His way and that the enemy would be bound and not have His way, what He desires. So I want to start out today as we consider this subject, and you'll see there in your, I think we did have notes, and so if you receive some notes, and you'll see here in just a moment on the screen, uh, just this subject of fighting Christians. We're not going to talk about um, you having problems with um, different uh, people in the church, okay? Now, if you do, um, come talk to me later and we can have a counseling time about that, okay? But I, I decided on purpose to entitle this message Fighting Christians because often in our world and in the church itself, there is often a problem that we look around us and there are problems with so-and-so, and we get into arguments, and we get irritated, and we have conflict among our brothers and sisters in Christ. And of course, we hear the, the unbelievers in the world saying, well, if that's how Christians act, I don't want to be one of them. And in, in part, they have a, a, legit, a legitimate argument there. But that is not what we're talking about today. But in, in fact, quite the opposite, that the reality is that even though sometimes we feel like our, our battle is amongst our, our brothers and sisters in Christ, our battle is not with each other, but it is with our enemy. And so I want to do a little exercise today, which will make you very awkward and uncomfortable. All right? So uh, I want you to look to your neighbor to your right, and I want you to tell them that you, that you are not my enemy. Say, you are not my enemy. There you go. Now, hold on. Those on this side of the congregation against the wall, I apologize, because the wall is not your enemy, right? Now look to your left. Look to your left and say the same thing. You are not my enemy. There you go. Good job. All right. We can all be dismissed. Good job. We are at war, but our war is not with our, our, those sitting around us. It is not with those people down the street. It is not with our, our boss who is a jerk. It is not with um, maybe a, an, an ex-wife or an ex-husband or whatever your circumstances and your scenario is in life. Your war, our war as Christians, is with the enemy of our souls. He seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. 
And if the enemy is left unchecked, he will do just that. He will steal and kill and destroy. And so we must fight back. We must understand that we are in a spiritual battle. And so I want our hearts to connect to this one main truth that we will see emphasized over the next couple of weeks as we approach Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, really through the end of the chapter. I want you to focus on this one main theme. The victorious Christian knows the war has already been won, and we'll talk about that. But the war has already been won, but there's still a spiritual war to be waged with reliance upon Jesus. And that is for you and I as believers. We need to understand that we are fighting Christians, but our fight is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the enemy of our souls. And so let me read this passage. We're just going to read these three verses, starting in Ephesians 6, verse 10. Follow along with me. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we come before you and we just humble ourselves before your throne and before the truth and the reality that you are in charge, you are sovereign, and Lord, you have, through your son Jesus at the cross, already won the battle. And we praise you, God. We thank you for the victory and how you've told us in your word and in song that faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And so help us to live as Christians in that reality, to rely upon your son Jesus, to be strong in the fight, to wage a war faithfully as we depend on you. But Lord, always to remember that we fight from a position of being victorious already because of Jesus. And so we thank you for that truth. Help us to apply it to our life. Help us to dig in and understand. And so Lord, as we approach this very important subject, I, I do pray in Jesus' name, against the enemy, and that he would not have any foothold or power or ability of deception, and that your word would go forth with power, and that your word would resonate in our hearts, and that we would hear the truth, and that we would not be deceived, and that we would respond in faith and obedience, trusting you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. As we approach this passage and this subject, um, it was interesting. I was just really, um, uh, I was wondering, I guess you could say, as I approached this passage, what the week of study would look like. Um, when you talk about spiritual warfare, usually uh, there's spiritual warfare. And I don't know about you, maybe you can tell me of different, different things in your life that there was spiritual warfare. And I got to be honest, um, it, it was a pretty normal week. I, I wouldn't define it as a week where there was intense spiritual warfare going on uh, in my heart or around me in any way. But, but this is what I do know, that sometimes the spiritual war is obvious and out there and it is so clear. And yet often, and this is what we're going to talk about a little bit today, often the spiritual war is behind the scenes where we can't see in the unseen world and we're not always aware of it. And it's so subtle, and it's so deceptive 
that we don't see it, and often we might even conclude that it is something good when in fact we are being deceived. That's the subtlety of the war. And so, again, prayerfully we can be aware and be sensitive to see and, and be very clear on what is true and what is, what is not true according to the Word of God. So I want to talk about this concept of spiritual warfare and that as victorious Christians, if we are going to be victorious in our walk with the Lord, we need to desire to win each battle. And so I want us to begin right there in verse 10, and we need to be strong for the fight. If we're going to be victorious, we need to be strong for the fight. You can't enter a battle weak and unprepared and expect to win. As you go into any athletic event or just anything that God has put, placed on your plate, if you come into something unprepared, more likely than not, there's going to be problems and failure. And so we need to be strong for the fight. So let's jump into verse 10 and notice what it says. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Uh, I want us to just notice that, that phrase there because, again, sometimes we just look at the, the verse and we just take it as a whole and, and we, we don't dig into it maybe the way we should. And, and I think we really need to in this case. So notice what it says, be strong for the fight. But we, we're strong. How are we strong? In, that, in the Lord. The Greek phrase there, in the Lord, literally means this. And I want you to really picture this in your mind. We're to be strong in the Lord, and literally that means to be strengthened from within. To not be strengthened from without, from a, from a, a separate place or a separate source, but to be strengthened from within. Why is this critical? Because when we have a spiritual battle, we need to understand first and foremost that our strength is from the Lord who, if we know Christ as our Savior, indwells us. And that is the only way that we can have victory is if we are a Christian, if we have put our faith in Christ and we have the Spirit of God indwelling us because of that faith and it's from Him. We are strengthened from Him within. And you think, well, that sounds basic in general and maybe it is, but it is absolutely foundational and I think often a problem in our weakness and why we lose battles often is because of this natural inclination to fight maybe in our own strength. And so if we're going to be strong, we have to be strong in the Lord. Consider the reality of being strong in the Lord for a moment. Go back to, stay there in Ephesians, but just go back a couple chapters to Ephesians 1. And we've talked about this a, a number of months ago, but Ephesians 1 verse 19 through 21, notice what it says. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This same mighty power raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Notice verse 21. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Who? Christ is. Not only in this world, but the one to come. And then notice this in verses 22 and 23. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things. For the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ who fills all things everywhere with himself. 
So this is a reality that we need to be strong in the fight as we're strong in the Lord because of everything that the Lord has done. Ultimately, at the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and death, it is for us. It is for the benefit of the church, as it says there in verse 22. We've been made full and complete in verse 23 and so on. And so we see that it is a reality that our every ability is in Jesus. So why do we try to do things in our own strength? We need to consider that. Be strong in the fight, in the Lord. Consider its reality, but consider also its source. What is the source? Well, it's from Jesus, of course. But there's something specific, and I want you to go over real quick to 1 John chapter, one, uh, chapter 2. 1 John 2, and it's an interesting uh, verse that, that John gives us here in just that little epistle. 1 John 2, verse 14. Listen to what it says, and we sort of see a little bit more of the, the source of this reality of being strengthened in the Lord. I have written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. Now, depending on your version, it may say something a little bit different, but, but understand the concept here that John is talking about believing. He's talking about relationship and connection with the God of all eternity and specifically that relationship of a child to a father. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you who are mature in faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I have written to you who are young in the faith because you are strong. Why? He goes on and he says, God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. See, the source of being strong in the Lord is first and foremost to know God through Christ. My heart, and I feel like the Spirit of God has sort of just been weighing this and laying this on my heart and as a concern for all of you and for our community. There is a difference between knowing about Jesus, and I would, I would dare say a very large majority in our community, no matter how far the span is as we go out, they know about Jesus on some level. Not all. There's some that maybe have not even heard his name, but, but just do a demographic check and you'll find out that the majority of the people in our community and the surrounding areas know about Jesus, but do they have a personal relationship with him? And I'm going to ask that question to you because, man, I don't, I don't want you to assume and to, because you come here to church and you hear the message of, of Christ crucified and, and knowing him and, and believing that he is the, the son of God and that he died for you. Do you really, have you done that? Have you believed on him? Do you know him personally? Because that is the, the understanding that John is saying, and it's that, that reality, it's the source of our fight in the Lord is when we know him. Not know about him. Do you see the difference? And if you don't see the difference between knowing about him and knowing him personally, I would encourage you, would you please, please come talk to me after church? And I would share with you of how you can come to faith in Christ simply by crying out to him and saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I know you died in my place, and I receive you and your sacrifice in my place. I put my trust in you could talk more about that. But I want us to understand that knowing 
is so important. It isn't knowing about, it is knowing God personally. And secondly, knowing the truth of God's word, because as we look at this passage, it is in believing the truth of God's word that we are strengthened in our hearts, and it says that we have won the battle over the evil one. And so consider the the very important concept here. We'll talk more about this in the weeks to come about the the belt of truth and the sword of the spirit and these concepts that enable us to win the battle and we win the battle as we believe the truth of who God is. So go back to Ephesians and notice now in verse 10, not only is it to be strong in the Lord, but specifically and in his mighty power. And so we're strong for the fight in his mighty power. How often we strive and we fight in our own abilities instead of the infinite mighty power of God. Just think back over this past week, how much of the operating time in just your day-to-day life in the things that you had to do, whether you went to work and you had to go here and you had to meet with this person and you had to talk about this and get this uh, job accomplished and turn in that paper, whatever it was, how much of those activities did you do in your own strength? And then how much did you depend on the mighty power of the Lord? And you say, well, that's different. That's different. Well, I think last week we talked about that no matter what we do, um, it's, we don't separate sacred work from secular work. It's all together. And so within that framework and understanding, we live and we fight in dependence on the Lord, even if it is just something in our daily walk, in our daily job. A couple things about depending on the Lord's mighty power. First of all, he provides courage. Understand that the Lord is the one that gives us the courage. As we depend on his mighty power, he gives us courage. A couple months ago, uh, we, uh, the elders reflected on Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, and you can go there later. We don't have time to do that today. But in that passage, Joshua is encouraged to be courageous and to not fear. And as he takes the torch away from Moses, who is turning it over to Joshua, and as, as a young leader, Joshua is now responsible for the nation of Israel. And that encouragement to be a man of courage, to be courageous. And where do we find our courage? We find it in God's mighty power. He not only provides courage as we depend on Him, He provides strength. Last week, this was talked about uh, to some extent. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, remember, as Paul was needing a cure for whatever was ailing him and, and that thorn in the flesh, And every time he would plead with the Lord, the Lord would say, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. And so as we depend on God's mighty power, he provides strength, not our strength, but his through our weakness. And then thirdly, as we depend on his mighty power, he provides the weapons. I want you to just notice a a really important passage a couple books back in 2 Corinthians. You can just go there for a moment. Um, Some of you probably have this verse memorized or this passage memorized, and I would encourage you to do so. When you come against temptation, when you come against wrong thoughts or or whispers in your ear from the enemy to be tempted to do something or to have a a wrong motive or go in a wrong direction, I want you to remember, excuse me, I want you to remember this passage, 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5. Listen to what it says. We are human but we don't wage war as humans do. 
We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. And so that's a a very important concept of understanding that we are to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power and that concept of the, that he provides the weaponry necessary for the fight. And it isn't weapons that we, we see in, in human means, what we can come up with, but they are spiritual weapons, as it says there, not worldly ones, but they have great power to destroy the enemy and the lies that he would whisper in our ears. Our weapons, and we'll talk about more as you go back to Ephesians now, We'll talk about that more next week as we jump into the actual um, weapons and armaments that God has given us, the armor of God in verses 13 through 17. But I want to generalize it in this way before we move on. Our weapons that God gives us so that we can be strong for the fight as believers are faith, hope, love, and praise. And there's a longer list for sure, and there's a more specific list in verses 13 through 17, of course. But understand that we need to be on a spiritual plane. We need to be thinking, if we're going to win this battle, we need to be fighting with spiritual weapons of faith and hope and love and praise toward our Savior. And when we do it, we render the enemy powerless. So we have victory as we are strong in the Lord. Verse 11, there's a second component to this. We have victory as we stand firm in the fight. People, we can't run. We can't turn tail at the sight of of something scary or when it's too daunting or too hurtful. We have this, this temptation to want to run and God calls us to, in His strength, stand Firm. He says, put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. And so there's a picture here of what it means to stand firm. It is, it is not one of a march as, as, as soldiers would march towards the battle. It is not a picture of a, an elite team assaulting a, an area and going in and accomplishing a mission. It is not that picture The picture here is standing firm. It is defending the fortress of your soul. And I really want us to get this into our mind and picture this, that the enemy is there to kill, steal, and destroy, and he wants to destroy your soul. And he uses all kinds of means, both both outward and in your face, and very deceptive and subtle. But nonetheless... He seeks to destroy you, and we must stand firm and defend the fortress of our soul. Now, understand that this is not our fight alone. This is with the Lord's strength, and so understand that you're not doing it by yourself, but we must be engaged. Our hearts and our minds must be willing to stand firm and depend on the rock of ages, Jesus, to support us, to strengthen us, to give us the truth of his word, to stand, to fight that enemy. How? Well, first of all, as we are armed by God. So we stand firm in the fight, armed, says put on all of God's armor. So we are armed by God. Again, next week, 13 through 17, we'll look at 
what this means, the full armor of God. But where does this armor, this concept come from? And it may come from different uh, concepts, but I found it interesting. Go back, if you would, to the Old Testament, to Isaiah 59. I found it interesting that this passage here refers in part to the armor of God. And so I want you to listen to what it says. Isaiah 59, verses 14 through 17. And I want you to, as, as you listen to what the Lord is saying about um, the situation that was going on in Israel. Remember, Israel often would fail God and turn away to idols and to, to other forms of worship, and then God would judge them. He would approach them. He would, he would confront them, and then they, if they didn't respond in repentance, then he would promise ultimate judgment. And so this is some of God's assessment of their sinfulness. Listen. He says, Our courts oppose the righteous, and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets, and honesty has been outlawed. Huh. Boy, that doesn't sound like anything that's going on today. Listen, he goes on, he says, Yes, truth is gone, and anyone who renounces evil is attacked. Huh. Interesting. The Lord looked and was displeased to find there was no justice. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed. And so he himself, the Lord, stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained them. He put on righteousness as his body armor and placed the helmet of salvation on his head. He clothed himself with a robe of vengeance and wrapped himself in a cloak of divine passion. You see, the reality is and the truth is that we get the armor provided for us from God because God himself is the one that has worn it and wears it. He is the source of our weaponry. He is the reason why we stand firm. And the only way that we can stand firm is in the armor of being armed by God. Three quick thoughts about his armor. First of all, our, our armor, armed, if we are armed by God, it will help us to take our thoughts captive. You see, a lot of the battle is not a physical battle of flesh and blood. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But understand, the battle is often in our minds, isn't it? And maybe even right now, you're struggling in your heart, in your mind. God, help me to think in a way that pleases you and not to, be, to go down that road of temptation and thinking about negative things and sinful things and the things that Satan wants to trip me up with. And so we remember 2 Corinthians 10 and we memorize it and we quote it when we're tempted to, to listen to the enemy and we take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we say, God, that is the only way. So we destroy the lofty thoughts and the ugly things of the world and we allow our minds to be captivated by Christ. So we're armed, taking our thoughts captive, armed, secondly, with right living and in the presence of Christ. You say, well, where's that? Well, I'll tell you. Go back to Romans chapter 13. This was a verse that my mom encouraged me to read when I was in junior, or to memorize when I was in junior high. And I, I did, and I, this passage is so encouraging and helpful for us when we are in the battle, when we're in the temptations, when we're in the struggle, and we don't want to stand firm, and we want to give in, 
and, and yet God calls us to stand firm. And so Romans 13, Romans 13, verses 12 through 14. The night is almost gone and the day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. You see, there's the armor of God, and the armor of God has to do with living a, a life that pleases God. Put on the armor, the shining armor of right living. He goes on and he says, because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. And so listen to the Holy Spirit right now. If he's convicting you of something specific, in some way, there's areas that are not decent in your life. And he's saying, don't have anything to do with them anymore. He says, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity or immoral living or in quarreling or jealousy. Instead, this is the verse that I memorized when I was younger. Instead, clothe yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your sinful desires. Make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust is the version that I memorized. And so we need to be careful. We need to be protective. This idea of standing firm, defending our souls. Our soul is a fortress and we are there and we must stand in defense of it. We cannot just let anything come into our minds, come and go as it pleases. No, we stand in defense. We protect ourselves. And so what does this mean? As we are armed, thirdly, with the authority of Jesus, we depend on the Lord, and we say, because of Jesus winning the victory, because of who Jesus is, I am going to take my thoughts captive to Christ. And I'm not going to allow the enemy to have control over my thought life anymore. We're armed with Jesus' authority. I want you to remember something. Satan is a more powerful uh, individual than you. We know that. But Satan is not more powerful than the Lord Jesus. He has no authority over Christ. And because if you know Christ is your Savior, we have authority in Jesus. We, are, we have no authority over Satan apart from Christ. Jude, uh, that, that one book, there's no chapters in it, it's just a, a, a short number of verses. And in Jude 9... There's this verse that says, Michael, the archangel, did not dare accuse the devil. And so consider Michael, who is more powerful than any of us, Michael himself didn't even dare to enter into battle on, on a level playing field against the enemy of our souls. And instead, it says that, that Michael did not dare to accuse the devil, but said, the Lord rebuke you to the devil. And so he used the authority and the power in the name of Jesus as the authority and the source of all power. And that is where we find our ability to stand. It is in the authority of Christ Jesus. And so we are armed by God. We stand firm, not only armed by God, but armed against all of Satan's schemes. Notice what it says there in the middle of verse 11. So that, that phrase there, depending on your version, strategies or schemes or deceit or tricks. Verse 14 of chapter 4 of Ephesians talks about this, this concept that we should no longer be immature children. 
And we shouldn't be deceived by every new wind of teaching, being tricked. It's the same, the same word is used of deception, of scheming, of strategies. That's the way Satan wants to operate. I want you to understand and remember something. Satan's schemes are devastating. They are subtle. They at times are in your face. But they are powerful in every form that they may take. Why? Well, first of all, they are veiled in darkness, and so it's hard to see. Colossians 1.13 says that before we knew Christ, we, were, uh, we belonged to the kingdom of darkness where Satan reigns. And in Jesus, we are rescued from that kingdom of darkness. So apart from Christ and before Christ, they are Satan's schemes, they're veiled in darkness. And Satan comes from and is part of and in charge of the kingdom of darkness. But often he appears as an angel of light. And so don't be deceived by, by something that looks like moralness or goodness or, or something that you think might be coming from God, but ultimately its source is Satan himself. That's how he schemes. That's how he deceives. Satan's foundation is deception. And let me just say again, I would just ask that you would be willing to talk to the Lord even now in this moment. Lord, am I deceived? Am I being deceived in some way in my life? Because Satan is the father of lies and he wants to deceive you. I used to go back to the Garden of Eden as Eve was deceived by the serpent. Um, Satan didn't come standing before, before Eve with his pitchfork and his horns, right? Now that's, we don't even, Satan probably doesn't even look like that. That's just the picture that we have in our culture, okay? Satan probably didn't appear like that. It's, in fact, it says that he appeared as a snake, he comes with deception, and his argument was deceiving, and it tricked Eve and Adam into sin. But ultimately, Satan's schemes are intended for destruction, and, and let me just jump over again. It's so important stuff, and I just want you to, to grasp the importance of it. And so, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 9, listen to what it says. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. Talking about approaching God on His terms and depending on Him. And at the right time, He will lift you up. Give all your worries and your cares to God, for He cares for you. Many of us quote that verse, right? And then the next verse, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So whatever the temptation is, However he can scheme against you, that is what he will do. But then Peter says, stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. And so our faith in the Lord and our dependence on him is what enables us to be armed against all the schemes of Satan. So if we do an honest assessment of our lives just for a moment, our foundation might be sinking sand. You remember the story Jesus told about those that built on sinking sand and those that built on the solid rock and what happens when the storms come, right? Honestly assess your life for a moment. Are you, is your life founded on something that is shifting and sinking or is it on the rock of Jesus? 
You see, when we're caught up in the things of the world, we are unprepared, we are unarmed, and we are being deceived by Satan's schemes. And so my prayer is that, that you would confess your sin, that you would surrender and allow God to give you a firm footing once again. There's always time, but the time is now to turn around. God is calling us to turn around and depend on him. Well, we want to be victorious as we are strong in the Lord. We stand firm in the fight. And then lastly, in verse 12, we're victorious as we stay focused on the real enemy. And so our exercise, remember, uh, as we began, was to look to each other, to our right and to our left, and tell those people that they are not our enemy. Right? The war is spiritual. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against every ruler and authority of the unseen world. The war is spiritual. Literally, the, the phrase here, the way that it's rendered directly from the Greek to the English, it's not for us to fight against flesh. Consider the, the framework of that statement. It's not for us as Christians to fight against flesh. What's God saying? It's not our job. It's not for you. You stop worrying about that. He said in another way, in another passage, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. I'll take care of those details about what's going on in your life and those that sinned against you and those that offended you and hurt you in, in very personal, traumatic, maybe even ways. God's in control of that. Our fight is not against flesh. And too often we conclude our enemy is each other, and it is not. But often we conclude that, and so we wonder why we're defeated. And again, don't raise your hands, but even this week, did you find yourself being defeated in some way in the Christian life? You gave in to sin, you, you did the very thing that you've done a, a thousand times before, even though you didn't want to do it, and you know that battle, that conflict in your heart and your soul... You wonder why you're defeated? You wonder why you get continually tripped up by the enemy? Because often it's because we're fighting the wrong enemy. We're focused on this plane and the horizontal picture and everything that we see, and we're focused on this instead of focused on the Lord and focused on the unseen world of what we are really fighting. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4, it's a, a tremendous passage that helps us understand who we are with Christ and who we are before we come to Christ. And in that verse, it says that Satan is the God of this world and he blinds the eyes of the unbelievers so that they can't see the glory of Christ and understand the good news, the gospel message. How many people do you know that you work with, maybe family members, maybe even some that are sitting here today that are still blinded by the God of this world who is Satan. That is his role. He wants to deceive. He wants to blind. He wants to hold us back from knowing and understanding and receiving faith in Christ. In Ephesians 2 and verse 2, we studied this a number of months ago, but... I love the importance of this, this emphasis, this connection between our own sinfulness and the one who was the originator of sin into this world. 
You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, who the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And so stay focused on the real enemy. Who's your enemy? Satan is the real enemy. He is in charge of this unseen world, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. And so the war is unseen. The war is spiritual. The war is dark, as it says there in verse 12 of Ephesians 6. You see that? Against the mighty powers in this dark world. When Jesus was betrayed, you remember the story, Jesus in the Garden of Eden, he was praying. Not Garden of Eden. <laughs> uh, the Garden of Gethsemane. Different garden. You remember, you remember Jesus praying and the disciples being with him. And of course, Judas went to betray the Lord. And so he brought back um, the, the guards to arrest Jesus. And Jesus said this to, to Judas and to those that, he was, that were going to arrest him. Jesus said, this is your moment, the time when the power of darkness reigns. You see, Jesus recognized that it wasn't just a physical act. Jesus could have said no. He could have stopped them physically. He understood that there was a spiritual element, a battle, a darkness, and Satan is behind it all. Colossians 1.13 says that Satan is the, a part of the kingdom. He is the one in charge of the kingdom of darkness, and he's blinded the eyes of those who don't believe. I want you to go away with this concept of deception. Satan is our real enemy, and we need to stay focused on our real enemy in this regard that he is the one that wants to deceive us. And he'll use people, he'll use thoughts and, and books and uh, tweets and whatever to deceive us. He'll use anything and everything, but behind it is the enemy. He wants to rob us of the truth. He wants to distract us from faith. Genuine faith in Christ is the only cure for deception. And so are we going to continue to believe the lies of the enemy or cry out in faith and say, Jesus, I don't want to be deceived anymore. Transform my heart. Take me, translate me from darkness to light the gospel of Jesus and the glorious message of Christ crucified and risen. He died for you and me. Have you put your faith in Christ? See, the war is unseen, the war is dark, and the end of verse 12, the war is in the heavenly realms. It's in heavenly places. Specifically, this is talking about this realm that is beyond us that we can't see apart from spiritual means. It is not specifically talking about the abode of God, although there is some concept of, of Satan and even demons depending on that they have some a level of access even to heaven in some way on God's terms. Remember in Revelation it talks about a war in heaven. Okay, and then they were kicked out and they didn't have access anymore. And so we don't know what's going on in this heavenly realm and to, to what extent, but this is what we do know, that there is war a spiritual war in the heavenly realms, in the spiritual forces of wickedness, it says in the New American Standard. So there are ranks of angels. Some are good, some are bad. Satan is in charge of the bad ones. Michael and Gabriel, uh, from what we know, the names we do have, are, are the ones that 
are the good angels in charge of those angels, and they have rank. They have authority over certain realms in certain ways. But understand this, that Jesus created them all and he disarmed them all. And he has authority over them all. So since Jesus has authority over Satan and all his demons, this is what we need to take away today. We are in a spiritual battle, but Satan has already been defeated. And we need to live in the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. Are we doing that? In 1 John 4 and verse 44, But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won the victory because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. The Christian is engaged in a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. And so are we, even though we are on this plane, are we battling, are we engaged in the fight on a spiritual realm? You see, if you're not thinking about spiritual things, if you're not praying, if you're not coming against when the enemy comes and attacks you, if you're just giving in, then you're just letting him have his way. Instead, you should remember of who you are in Christ and that he has won the battle, that you can get armored up by, with God's armor and win the battle through his power and enabling as you trust in him. I want to leave you this morning as we close with something that Tony Evans, uh, many of you are familiar with, uh, Pastor Tony Evans, and he wrote a book called Victory in Spiritual Warfare. And this is what he said. He said, there's a story about a painting titled Checkmate. As the story goes, on one side of the chessboard sits the devil, full of laughter, his hand is poised, ready to make his next move. On the other side of the chessboard sits, sits a shaking, frightened young man. Sweat covers his forehead, dripping down and mixing with a solitary tear on his cheek. The game is obviously drawing to a close, and the winner appears to have already been decided. One day, a chess champion from a far-off country visited this gallery. Naturally, the painting caught his attention, inviting him to examine it for a very long time. In fact, while others had moved on throughout the gallery, the chess champion remained fixated on the game, and especially on the devil, who sat eagerly waiting for his next turn in which he planned to steal this man's soul. Minutes turned into hours as the chess champion studied the board from every possible angle. The sweat on the young man's forehead urged him to continue. Finally, as the gallery was about to close, the chess champion found the proprietor of the gallery and asked him, Sir, would you happen to have a chessboard? After looking around in several offices, he located a chessboard and brought it to the man. And the chess champion laid the board out at the base of the painting precisely as it was in the painting. He made a move and then countered that move in the only way the devil could avoid checkmate. Then he made another move and countered it again, knowing that the devil would have to defend himself in his next move as well. The chess champion did this several more times, putting the devil on the defensive each and every time. Eventually, loud yell was heard throughout the gallery as the chess champion cried out in relief, I did it! I did it! I did it! Turning to the painting, the chess champion lowered his voice and said, Young man, your enemy miscalculated a very important move. I uncovered it, and as a result, you don't have to lose. 
you win. The chess champion had discovered a way not only for the young man to escape, but also to checkmate the devil himself. And so the chances, Tony Evans goes on and he says this, the chances that you may have felt like the man in the painting are great. Fear or anxiety has crept in upon your life and you imagine the devil preparing to make his final move in your personal life, in your marriage, in your home, in your health, your career, your finances, or any number of other arenas. Satan's confident laughter and swift moves have tricked you into believing that he is running the show and calling the shots. He has been toying with your emotions as if you were a puppet on a string. He goes on and he says, I encourage you to wipe away the sweat from your forehead and dry the tear from your eyes. You can do this because you have a champion with a capital C who knows to, how to guide your every move. In fact, this champion has already made the final move on the devil, securing your victory. If you will simply pay, play out the remainder of the game according to his directions and underneath the overarching rule of his kingdom agenda, you will claim your victory. This is guaranteed. The great thing is that you don't have to earn your victory, nor do you have to figure it out for yourself. God has already given you everything you need in order to make your next move in the path of triumph. You are not fighting for victory. As a Christian, you are fighting from victory. The battle has already been won. Father, we thank you for that truth and that reality in Jesus. We thank you that you are our champion. You are the one that has conquered sin and death for us. And in that reality, Lord, we are obedient to what you have called us to, to stand in the fight, to stand firm and to be strong in you and to be aware that we face a very formidable enemy, but an enemy that has already been defeated. And so, Lord, help us to not live in defeat by the defeated one. But God, help us to live in victory because our victory is in you, Jesus. So very simply and profoundly, God, help us to walk with you, Jesus, and to listen to your voice, Holy Spirit, and that we would not be deceived any longer by the lies of the enemy and the pleasures and the fleeting temptations that come our way that will never last and will never satisfy. So Lord, help us to forsake sin and the deception of it and that we would turn to you in truth and live in the victory that you've already given us at the cross. God, we thank you that the battle has already been won and we give you praise. Help us to live in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.